Good morning. Let me start with a word of confession. When I was uh, six years old, and that remind you, I was six, I did something so horrible, something so horrible that even until now I still experience that sense of guilt. I could still remember it clearly and vividly. Back home in my country of origin, um, the sense of welfare for animals had that's not, really, that's not really the focus. And so because of that, people do things with animals. And in my home, um, we don't have a permanent uh, wall in our backyard. And so animals and chickens would just pass through our, our backyard. And then one day, there was a mother hen that passed by with its uh, chicks, and I gave chase, and I caught four chicks. I did something to those chicks. I would not tell you what it is because I still find it so horrible, and kids are listening. But the fact is, I did something so wrong that even until now, I could still sense and experience that guilt. From that experience of being young, while it was wrong, it developed in me a sense of sanctity for life and also guilt. But this brings me to the basic question of being Christians. Who are we as Christians? What makes us different? Is it just because that experience of guilt and that sense of guilt, that sense of sin, that makes us different from all other people who are not believers of God and who are not followers of Jesus? What makes us different? And this is the main question that we would be asking ourselves today. Who are we as Christians? A couple of years ago, there was a research conducted by the Barna Research Institute, which is a Christian research institution. And the title of the research was Christians, are they more like Jesus or Pharisees? So it's such an interesting um, research. And the study seeks to know what's the, what are the attitudes of Christians in terms of, of their um, view of life and the way that they act. And based on this research, the people who are, the, the respondents were grouped into four quadrants or four categories. The first quadrant says that uh, these are Christians who, are, who have pharisaical attitude, but their actions are Christ-like. Another quadrant would be of those people who are Christ-like in attitude and also Christ-like in their actions. And the third quadrant informs us of Christians who have pharisaical attitudes and also pharisaical actions. But the fourth quadrant states that these are the Christians who have Christ-like attitudes but have pharisaical actions. And what's interesting about this research is that it shows, can we show the slide again, please? It shows that only 14% of the respondents consider themselves as having Christ-like attitudes and also their actions. But lo and behold, 51%, that means more than majority, 
have pharisaical attitudes and pharisaical actions. <laughs> what does this tell us? And this speaks about general Christians. And, and the respondents were evangelicals, Catholics, those in uh, mainland denominations. And so it's such an interesting finding because it speaks of the reality of Christian life. So what is the conclusion of the study? Well, it concludes that there is a higher level of hypocrisy among Christians. That majority of Christians don't really live according to Christian spirit, both in their actions and their attitudes. And so this has an impact to us. But it leads us basically to assess ourselves and to get to know what it really means to be a Christian. What is really our Christian identity? Who are we as redeemed people of Christ? And if you realize this, our receiving of, grace, of the grace of God through Christ has really given us that sense of new identity. I mean, let us be reminded by 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, which says, If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. But is it really the case? How are we then transformed? How are we so new? But the text that we just read a while ago in, in 1 Peter tells us really of what it means to be a redeemed people. What does it mean to be a changed person? What does it mean to be a person that has been called by Christ? And so being redeemed people of God means that we are called out from the past. We are called out from the past. It means that we have been called from captivity to freedom. And that is being spoken of in verse 18. We have been redeemed. And redemption involves the fact that we have been given this freedom in Christ. And so it speaks of the fact that we are redeemed not with corruptible things, not with gold or silver, but with the blood of Jesus Christ, which is incorruptible. We are not even redeemed not through the useless ways of handed down by our parents or our fathers. And what does this mean? It means actually about our traditions and cultures that have been passed on to us. And we have not been redeemed through this. We have not been redeemed through traditions or our cultures or the way that we have been brought up. And it might even be true that it might even speak of popular culture. We are not redeemed through this. We are redeemed from the past so that we could experience this freedom. But at the same time, we are also called to, into the present. We are being called into this current situation, a call towards good works, a call to really live Christ's life in this current context. Definitely, while we have been saved through faith, it doesn't mean that good works would not flow from this redeemed life because both things are connected. Both faith and works are connected. And the scripture always tells us that faith without works is dead. And this is the true mark of faith, that the moment it is not manifested in works, then that means that, that faith is nothing and it, it's really dead. And so we are called into the present to do these good works to really live out the Christian message and the gospel in this current context. But at the same time, we are also called out for the future. That while the perfection that God requires of us would be coming in the end times when he calls us, but he calls us as well to leave his kingdom values in the present. And so it's really being called out 
to live the future in the present. Our lives are about the future. It's always future-oriented. And so we are being called as redeemed people out from the past. We are being called into the present. And we are at the same time being called for the future. But how does this redeemed identity really shape us as Christians? What is our Christian calling? Where is God calling us now? And so there are just three key things that we need to remember from this text that God is reminded us of. First, that it, it requires us, it changes our status. Second, that it defines our uh, standing before Christ. And third, that it delineates our summons. So let me just go over through each of these aspects of our Christian life where God is calling us. First, being or having redeemed identity, God calls us us into the situation where it changes our status. What then is our status? Well, the, the verse tells us of the fact that our status is now that we are sojourners. It's an interesting concept. It's an interesting term. To be a sojourner means, basically, it's the same thing as being a foreigner, being a stranger, being an alien in this land. Someone who does not enjoy the rights and privileges of citizenship, that is what a sojourner is. And so God calls us into a status where now our present condition in this world is that we are just sojourners. We just pass through this world. We don't even have that benefits and privileges of citizenship in this world. John chapter 15 verses 18 to 19 says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But, but the fact is, as it is, you do not belong in this world. But they have chosen you out of this world. That is why the world hates you. We are not any more citizens of this world. We are being called into a different kind of place, a different kind of citizenship. And that would be the citizens of God's kingdom. And everything that we live in this world is just, in a sense, a temporary state that we are not supposed to be living our lives wherein everything is just about this material world. I'm not talking about the dichotomy between what's material and physical, that everything that is physical is wrong. I'm not saying that. But what we are being called for would be that our life is not anymore about just the values of this world. It's really about being called out of that world so that we could leave these kingdom values. Our true citizenship is elsewhere. It's in the kingdom of God. But I think this is a good lesson for us as Christians. It's a lesson for us to identify also ourselves with the people who are in this journey in this world. And that's why, I think just a side note, that's why God has always been having concerns and has always that concern for refugees, for strangers, and for immigrants, because that's the same journey that the Christians are actually taking. We are sojourners in this world. We, we are strangers in this world. We are aliens in this world. And so we need to identify ourselves with people in this world who are in the same journey, this movement of people, to love them and to care for them because we are in that same situation. Second, it does not only change our status as sojourners, it also defines our standing. And what is that standing? That standing would be holiness. We are now different. We are being called for a purpose. That, it, what, that, that is what it means to be a holy person. 
to, to experience that holiness. We are being called separate from this world and separate for God. To be set apart, and that is the meaning of holiness. To be set apart for a purpose. But, my friends, holiness is derivative. Derivative because of the fact that it is derived from our relationship with God. That means that we are holy and we are separate not just for our sake. We are separate because we are being separated for God and for His purpose, to be in relationship with Him. There's something wrong because when the moment we do something, when we, when we abide by the laws and the commandments of God just for the purpose of obeying those. Because the moment we do that, then we become like the Pharisees. That we are making things that are good, doing good works, fulfilling the law, just for its sake. But the fact is, holiness is about being called by God for his purpose and so that we could be, we could be into a, a strong relationship with him. We are being called out from this sinful world so that we could be in a deep relationship with God. That is the reason why we are being called to holiness. It's not for us. It's not just doing righteousness for righteousness' sake. Because the moment we do that, then we become self-righteous. Righteousness is for the purpose of really being right with God and to have that deeper relationship with God. And so this is our calling. And, and, and holiness, friends, has implications to the way that we live our lives right now. And it calls actually for key changes that need to take place in our lives. It requires changes with our lifestyle, our values, our behaviors. It calls for changes in our, in, in our values and also in our attitudes. It requires changes in our lifestyles because of the fact that we are being called into a new life, into a new purpose, and to a new way of living. And if you read all the epistles of Paul, you would notice that there's really that clear manifestation and expressions of the requirements that God is asking of us, the ethical precepts, the principles that Christians need to live. While Paul speaks about the fact that we have been justified through faith and we have been saved through the grace of God, it doesn't mean that there are no more ethical requirements and, and to live in license. That's not the life that God seeks of us. To be a Christian means not to have any license as to, to do anything anymore. It means that to be more conscious, really, of our responsibility before God to do what is right and to do what is proper, to do what is righteous. And so lifestyle and behavioral changes are part of that process of being redeemed people of God. That is our standing as people who are holy, being separate for God. But my friends, the fact is that constantly and every day we are always struggling with sin and to be right before God. But it only tells us that to be holy and to be separate for God means that we need to be aware, we need to discern, we need to evaluate, we need even to question what are the values of this world and to expose this to expose the world of evil, to expose the world of sin. But it doesn't mean that we would be disengaging from the world because it needs requirement from us to really be concerned and to be compassionate with the plight of all people, of all humanity. For God so loved the world 
And so that has to be our attitude and concern as well. And thirdly, it does not only speak about the changes of our status, or it does not only define our standing, but it also delineates our summons, our calling, our responsibility. And the, and the text in our, in our Bible that we have just read spoke about those key responsibilities and the summons that God is asking of us. First, that we need to love one another. I mean, it's, it's such a common thing. For Christians, it seems to be just, we're just taking it for granted. But the fact is, how come Peter emphasized this, that once again, we need to love one another? And for Jesus, even in, in, in John chapter 13, uh, verse 34, he says that this is a new commandment that I'm giving you, that you need to love one another. How, how could that be a new commandment? Because that commandment to love now is not only derived from just loving for the sake of loving. It is now derived from our relationship with Christ. It is a love that really speaks out of, sourced from the love of God in us. And so it's a new commandment. Second, it also speaks about the fact that we need to realize as well that loving has to be the essential feature of what it means to be a Christian. Loving those who are different from us. Loving even our enemies. Loving those who we feel from our own perception and from our own perspective that we couldn't even love. It means that we need to go out of what we feel as just our human perceptions and our tendencies and, and to extend that love that God has shown to his world. William Barclay a prominent Scottish theologian and Bible scholar once said that more people have been brought into the church by the kindness of real Christians or by Christian love than by all the theological arguments in this world. And more people have been driven out from the church by the hardness and the ugliness of so-called Christianity than by all the doubts in this world. It is Christian love that invites people. It is Christian love that allows them to experience Christ's love in return. It is Christian love that allows us to invite people in this space of missions. And come to think of it, missions is about loving. Oftentimes we equate missions as just about speaking of the gospel, of proclamation. But we fail to realize that the ethical precepts themselves are already calls for missions to do what is right, to love those who are different from us, and to embrace and to include. We need to realize that loving is the central commandment of missions. The second summons for us would be that summons for a reverent fear so that our lives would always be in focus and attention towards God. In Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so that kind of reverent fear need always to be shown with the way that we relate with God. That we are doing things, we are doing what is right, not just because for righteousness sake, but because of the fact that God calls us to be in fear of him. And when you are fearful of God, then you want to please him. You want to honor him. But it is not fear just out, out, out of fear. It's not just because of discouragement. It is reverent fear. It means that sense of awe 
that you are loving God and you are fearful of God. And the third summons for us would be for us to dwell in Christ in verse 23 of our text. And there's an interesting uh, Greek word that's being used here, and that's the word meno. And it's the same word that was used by Jesus in, um, in his statement in John when he said that without me you can do nothing. Without me you can do nothing. When we don't dwell in Christ, then we return to our sinful ways. Because it, it is only through that dependence can we be strengthened. Can we have that reverent fear? It is only in that dependence that God works in us. It is only in that dependence can we see that in all of these things, the source, the power, and the capacity to love and to care and to forgive comes only from God and not from us. The moment we separate ourselves from God, the moment we do not depend on Christ, the moment we do not dwell in Christ, then we would wither and die. And we return back to our old ways, to our sinful ways. It is only when we depend on God that we are cognizant of the fact that that strength does not come from us, but from God. Let me conclude with these words uh, in, in verse 24. It says that all people are like grass, And all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fail, but the word of the Lord endures forever. It's such an interesting verse because it speaks of the fact that it tells us of the reality that human life, all life forms and all of the life in this world is just temporary. Everything that happens in this world is temporary. Every enjoyment your house, your homes, your family, your jobs, your work, your community. Everything that is in, the world, in this world is temporary. And come to think of it, we, you do not even know. We do not even know when our, our time will be coming, when God would be calling us. It might be any minute. It might be any hour. It might be any day. But the truth is, this is one thing that we do not have control of. And that is our lives. And all lives, all people are like grass. And all the glories of this life, just like the flowers of the field. And so, so much in this life is perishable. You could not rely your life on all things that are material. And when we die, we would be forgotten. And, but I think this is one of the key reflections that we need to make today. That while we die, at the same time, it makes us realize about what are the things that we could leave behind for the new generation. The good things, a redeemed life, so that people can see that in the midst of the fact that we might be forgotten, but our legacies would not. But those are not legacies for ourselves. It is legacies so that whatever good things that God has done in us there would be a ripple effect, that it would be changed, and it would change the lives of others. And so, my friends, what does it mean to have a redeemed life? Well, it changes our status as sojourners. Second, it defines our standing, and that is the standing of holiness. And third, 
it delineates our summons, our responsibility, and our calling before God. Let us reflect on these questions today, that as we think about what it means to have a redeemed life, God is calling us into this space of grace and transformation. First, what are the areas in, our, in your Christian life that need transformation? Second, how do you live your deemed life in your home, in your workplace, or in your community? Let us reflect on these questions.